Uh, Sarah Foster is a principal writer. She covers Federal Reserve U.S. economy and economic policy for Bankrate, where she helps readers to understand how the world's most powerful policymakers in Washington, D.C., impact their personal finances and ours. And you say, what is going on? I've not even heard this term before, but we are in a shh, silent recession. Don't tell me yes. That can't be. What do you think? <laughs> well, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I think the silent recession, rather than this being something that we are definitively in, it's more aptly described as what Americans feel like we're living in, because we found in a recent bank rate survey that close to six in 10 Americans feel like the economy is in a recession. It's likely because two thirds of them say the economy has negatively impacted their finances. And so when I was speaking with everyday people and consumers out there about why they do feel so down about the economy, this term that kept coming up time and time again was called the silent recession. And I think what it means is that the data that we have on paper isn't necessarily reflecting the way households feel like the economy is impacting them. Well, you write, in fact, in a story that you wrote that, uh, yes, economists are pleasantly surprised that the most widely forecast recession in modern history, well, that's more or less what you wrote, never showed up. So are we kind of in this silent recession? Or simply, it's what you wrote in your words, that there will be no recession. And I hope you say the latter, but we'll see. What do you think? Well, I I think what's happening here is that Americans and economists have different definitions for what they use to describe the economy and specifically how they define a recession. So on paper and based on this definition that economists typically use, which is broad-based declines in multiple different measures of economic growth, it's hiring, unemployment, uh, spending, all of those measures are not pointing to a recession. So we can definitively say that we aren't in one But that doesn't necessarily matter for the Americans that we're seeing here today, who are still mentioning that they feel like their pay hasn't kept pace with inflation. They're going to the grocery store and to the gas pump and still saying that prices are more expensive. And they're feeling like it's harder, at least today, than it was three years ago to, to meet all their financial goals. Sure. I think the gas prices have actually gone down. But your point is well taken. Going to the grocery store, doing what you need to do, things are more costly. Do you think that it's all going in the me- in the meantime, the market is celebrating for what now a couple of months, you know, almost every day, the market has gone up a little bit and in many days, a lot. So do you think eventually, this is all going to equal out? Tell me what your crystal ball looks like. Yeah, well, I think kind of going back to that point, you know, the differences between the way Americans judge the economy, I think it matters here because, you know, gas prices are a great point because, yes, they are down from a year ago, but they're still more expensive today than they were before the pandemic. And in fact, just 15 of the roughly 300 items that the Department of Labor tracks for its consumer price index, only 15 of them are cheaper than they were before the pandemic. So I I think, you know, while investors and the reason why markets are really celebrating this is kind of the way that the Federal Reserve is now interpreting it. I mean, it does seem like this soft landing is more coming into view here. It is more possible because uh, last month we saw that prices actually 
at 2.6% from a year ago. That's the closest it's been to the Fed's target since, uh, you know, 2021. And all the while, unemployment is still at those low levels that we haven't really seen for half a century. But it still is different than the the way that Americans are kind of feeling about their finances. And so I, I think, you know, that's really why there are these two disconnecting measures. But the, the point I think is really important is, you know, prices are probably never going to go back to those pre-pandemic levels. But what matters the most is when wage growth will actually catch up to inflation. And I think what, you know, what you're talking about here about this leveling out, maybe when people will kind of kind of finally start to meet in the middle about, you know, this perception versus reality, it might be when their incomes fully catch up to, to inflation. And at that point, we're on pace for it by the end of 2024, according to our calculations. Sarah Foster, principal U.S. economy reporter for Bankrate.com. Is there a way people can find you? Yeah, uh, find me on Twitter at Sarah Foster. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram, Accidental Economist, for uh, videos that hopefully help explain all of this. All right. Well, it's good to talk to you. It's good to meet you. Thank you, and have a good New Year. Yeah, thank you. Happy New Year. Steve Dale for John Williams on the Wintrust Business Lunch. And this I had no idea about, that patent laws apparently are changing. Patent attorney specialist and professor John Rizvi is here. Hi, John. Uh, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, and it, it's not, well, patent laws are changing too, but today uh, it's really the copyright expirations that's uh, that's gotten everybody you know, it, up in a storm with uh, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse copyrights expiring on Monday. Well, I, I had no idea they were expiring. Does that mean that we have to have a funeral for the, the mice? Um, the, actually, in fact, the opposite. So when a, the copyrights expire, and this is just so we know, it's not the, there's several different versions of Mickey Mouse that's protected. We're talking about the Steamboat Willie uh, ah. version of Mickey Mouse that's uh, that that's the iconic Mickey Mouse that you see on a steamboat like um like whistling and it's a black and white Mickey Mouse that's right uh, those copyrights are expiring and when I say there's no funeral usually when the copyrights expire they become part of the public domain so Disney no longer is going to have exclusive rights uh, to that version which means instead of a funeral, which is when something goes away, I think we're probably going to see a lot more of that version of Mickey Mouse because there's no royalties to be paid. There's no licensing that you have to get from Disney anymore. So I think we're going to see a lot more of Mickey Mouse after Monday uh, instead of less. So let's say there's an image online someone sees, and then they post it online and then they get sued by the person whose image he says or she says, well, that's my image. I copyright that image. But there's no way for the person to know that image was copyrighted in the first place. So, uh, well, there's uh, a, a, anything that's copyrighted. The typical advice is you need to have a copyright notice on images. So a lot of images you'll see a C with a circle around it, or you'll have the words uh, U.S. copyright uh, uh, or something to that extent, or copyright reserved. You'll, you'll see an indication. If you don't see an indication, that's uh, it's, it, 
can help possibly prevent punitive damages and a, you know and payment of attorney fees and then there's some benefit to a claim of uh, of innocent infringement but it still does not give you the right to do that it, it certainly reduces the the pain of infringing someone's copyright if they haven't properly uh, put notice on their work well if there is no copyright that little c with a circle around it i assume you're talking about so if that's not there and someone uses that inadvertently, uh, they can still be sued, as I understand it. Yeah, correct. Correct. And and one important distinction as well is the there's a separate set of rights, and that's why patents, trademarks, and copyrights, they have to be looked at differently. Uh, patents protect inventions. So we're not talking about an invention here. It's a, like a, a fictional character, a drawing. But uh, trademarks protect branding, and I just want to make clear that, that the brand rights that Disney has to Mickey Mouse are not expiring on Monday. Uh, so I don't want people out there starting to, to use the Mickey Mouse or the logo with the Mickey Mouse ears or any of that stuff that Disney has. That's not what's expiring. What's expiring is the original uh, Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse uh, is expiring January 1st of 2024. Right, which goes back many, many years. That was the original, 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 I think, Mickey Mouse, because I once watched a documentary about Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse and how it all came about, so I remember that. But what is more likely to be used over and over is something a bit more contemporary. Is that protected? So if I copy and paste on my Facebook page, or if let's say someone has a blog and they copy and paste Snoopy, let's even get away from Disney. Uh, is that okay to do, or are you potentially in trouble for doing it? Uh, no, those are if they're under copyright protection, then you you absolutely could be in trouble and infringing for doing it. Uh, when you said something more recent. Uh, the more recent version of Mickey Mouse, and that's the version everyone knows with white gloves and and Mickey has the red shorts, that <laughs> yes. is not expiring this Monday. Uh, but that's not too far off itself. That's January 1st of 2036. So uh, a little over a dozen years from now, uh, a, a decade from now, you'll have uh, uh, that version of Mickey Mouse in the public domain as well. So currently, you can use Mickey Mouse, but don't put not the color version with white gloves and red shorts. Just make sure it's the original. Uh, when you said it's a, it's very old. It's 95 years ago is when that work was first uh, published. So we're talking about a 95-year uh, old copyright that's expiring. Okay, but my question is more broad than that. Uh, I understand about that one Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse, but what about other cartoon characters that you're just copying and pasting in your own social media? Uh, maybe you have a social media presence of 20 people, uh, but maybe you have a social media presence of 200,000, 20 or more. Uh, can you do that? And how, I mean, people do that every single day, don't they? They, they do. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it is, is it's not enforced, right? So a lot of times you see someone that's uh, that's doing that. You don't see any repercussions. And most of the time there's not going to be because, uh, unfortunately, there isn't a sufficient, uh, uh, like, damages and perhaps the deep pockets aren't, aren't there if it's a small 
post and it's somebody that's doing it uh, without commercial intent, they're not making money off of it. Uh, there's also fair use defenses to copyright infringement, and uh, and and there is uh, like uh, if, to the extent it, it it's free speech if you have commentary uh, regarding uh, you know these copyrighted characters, uh, then it may not be uh, infringing. It may not be seen as copyright infringement. There's a bunch of factors the court will look at as to whether you uh, you have a defense. A copyright infringement under fair use. So there are fair use exceptions. For example, if it's educational use, uh, then that may help uh, a court see it as fair use. And if there's no money being made, if there's no charge for those images, then, of course, uh, that tends to support an exception to copyright infringement for fair use. But, but the fact that it's done and without repercussions, that you don't know when uh, you know, when, when selectively uh, somebody is going to try to enforce. So I can't, that, that's the risk. It's almost like, you know, people cross the street every day without looking both ways and nothing happens. It's just, it's, it's a risk. It's just uh, what if you don't look both ways and there happens to be a car there, now you're in trouble. And that's, that's kind of the issue with, uh, with this copyright infringement of individuals. You're, I think you're not talking about like huge uh, you know, companies, multinational corporations doing it, but, but you know, John Doe, who who wants to, to take an image offline that he's found, put it on their website, for example, or yeah. do a Facebook post, most of the time, like, like realistically, the chances of, of any repercussions are low, but not for the one person that gets slapped with a suit, and there have been cases of. Uh, well, I'm of, not sure they're that you know, low anymore because there know. are there are I know there are computer programs that actually search yeah. for you know what I'm talking about. They search for this stuff, and here you have someone who might be 85 years old. I don't know who copied and pasted something on her Facebook page innocently, and here she's getting slapped with the threat of a lawsuit, and then she has to hire a lawyer to defend. I mean, it's. It seems ridiculous to me and just a money-making scheme. And in fact, what I know is that some people will put something out there, not copyrighted, and then copyright it after people use it. And then they will claim, and apparently that's legal to do. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to, you have to be able to support that you're the author. But, uh, but uh, I mean, to, to your point, it's, it, it's expensive to try to defend yourself against these suits. So even if you're in the right, it can it can be problematic. Uh, there have been instances, as you mentioned, of some you know uh, person who has no intention of, of infringing. They're not even aware that it's a a copyrighted work, and, uh, and suddenly find themselves on the receiving end of a, a cease and desist notice, or even worse, an actual suit having already been filed. Yeah. Yep. All right, sir. Good to talk to you. Good to meet you, John Rizvi. Thank you very much for the education. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Steve Dale here for John Williams, Wintrust Business Lunch. And I definitely trust that I'll be talking to, yes, a real estate mogul. Jennifer Hammond is here. And I want to talk to you about mortgage rates, Jennifer, and what's going to be in the new year. How are you? I'm fantastic. Yay! Thank you so much for having me today. 
I love that enthusiasm. Now, that enthusiasm goes to all home buyers, right, or prospective home buyers, because there is going to be good news. The mortgage rates are going to decline. The price of homes is going to decline, and we can afford everything. Or uh, maybe not. <laughs> well, it's definitely going to, you're going to see interest rates go down. That's the, if I can get out my crystal ball and look inside. Um, my prediction for next year is they'll definitely come down, but there are going to be deals in every single market, and there always are, but so often you're not talking to the right person. And, and one of the reasons I say it like that is because somebody who's thinking about selling and they have an amazing interest rate on their current mortgage, they may not have hired a real estate agent yet. But if you've actually taken the time to really interview a real estate agent and your real estate agent is the person who's connected in your actual area, they're going to know about houses that are going to come on the market that would be in your price range before they're actually listed. And those are the ones you kind of really want to be, it's going to be one of the secret, I want to say, ingredients for success next year, because it's not just about the interest rates. It has so much to do with who you put together. I call it your yay team. (laughs) It's who's on your yay team, because do they help you say yay? Or are they making you frown? Okay, <laughs> I want to unpack some of that. So you say the mortgage rates may depend on where you are, which I assume makes some sense. Are the mortgage rates vastly different in Albany, New York, compared to San Jose, California, compared to Chicago? So I, I was going to say one of the I, the deals are always going to be different depending on where you are. The interest rates will be different depending on what company you're getting the mortgage from. Like, for instance, if you're getting a national mortgage or if you have a local, um, like even a credit union. Credit unions are so different than a local or a regional bank. Which tends um, to be better, so, local or national? Depends. Oh. I hate to say that, but it's oh. almost like a fingerprint I know I hate that answer because it it would be much better if it was generic. But, like, for instance, if it's somebody who has a low credit score, then guess what? It's going to be so much better if you don't go in what's called automatic underwriting because that means the computer is judging you. I I don't know what that means. Explain that. Okay, so there's, um, for like the big national banks, they have a thing called automatic underwriting, which means it's going through and it's it's either a zero or a one with their little computer algorithm, meaning you have the credit score that's above whatever they need. Like if they need it to be above 740 or if they need it to be above 680, whatever that is, you either check the boxes or you don't. And if you don't, then you get kicked out of what's called automated under or underwriting. And if you don't have that, then then it takes the bank a whole lot more time to get you approved. So in the national banks, unfortunately, that means that they actually spend a lot more time on it. And when they need to spend a lot more time on it, then it's going to cost you more money in interest rates or fees or in other ways if you don't get just sailing through in those automatic underwriting. Is there a magic... Whereas local banks... Go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, whereas local banks, the thing is, is that it goes back to the old-fashioned relationship. If you know the people in your local bank, it's a, it's a regional bank, and they can say, and they can actually take a look and go, oh, well, we know, you know, it was a rough year. You had maybe your wife went through cancer, or you know that there's something on your credit that can be easily explained, but 
But overall, you are somebody that they want to lend money to. But that's when you have, you know, a relationship with somebody. And that's usually with the regional or smaller banks in your area, not the big national banks. The big national banks, you just are, you know, a number. Yeah, uh, but but I call me cynical. I, I find it hard to believe, and unless you live in Mayberry, that you could walk into a bank and talk to someone at that bank, even if you know that someone, and say, you know, I've had a very tough year. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I fell asleep while I was driving and hit a tree. And then uh, the next week, the tree fell over and hit me and on and on and on. I, do they care? I hate to tell you this. And no, because the cynical is, is so much, it explains so many of the, the, the terrible things that happen. But there really are. There are so many banks. And I'm, strangely enough, I'm licensed in Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and Florida. Now, Florida is a ridiculously huge state. But I have had the opportunity, I've lived everything from Key West, I've lived in Pensacola, Florida, like all over the state. And I say that to say I've gotten to know the different communities. And the banks, of course, are some of the pillars of every community. So I always go in and get to talk to them. And, and I have found that it doesn't matter where you are, if you create a relationship, it's amazing how somebody will look at you as a human and they'll look at your whole situation rather than if you just go through are you a zero or a one through a computer algorithm that doesn't really know you but definitely that computer algorithm is judging you is there a magic number where the interest rate is let's say it goes down to six percent and at that number or whatever the number is you'll have to tell me what that number might be where you're better off paying as much as you can possibly pay for the home or condominium, or the reverse is true, where the mortgage rate is such where you're better off paying as little as possible. Is there a formula for this? Well, there is a formula in the fact, in fact, I put together um, years ago, and I have revised it and revised it over and over 17 questions, which are kind of that what I call the key questions that you need to ask a mortgage um, broker or a mortgage lender, or even if you're going to go in for a refinance, you have to go through a series of questions about what their mortgage is and, and specifically where you are. Like if you're looking at refinancing, well, do you only have 10 years left on it? It might not be the time to be refinancing, you know, considering the fees and the, and the interest rate. However, if you're brand new and this is going to be um, your first home and really you're going to be able to get something that, again, all it really matters for you is your payment. It depends on what's most important to you in a mortgage, and that's kind of where it goes back to it's a fingerprint. There's not one answer or one size that fits all for people. You have to go through those questions and find out what is going to be best for you at this time in your life because it's different 10 years ago and it's going to be different 10 years in the future. So it's all of those things together, and that's when you can decide what is the best one for you today. Is the rule of thumb that a monthly mortgage payment should be no more than 30% of the buyer's income? I don't agree with that, but I, I know that some people still say that. I think it, it still depends so much on your whole picture. Like, for instance, there's an amazing um, computer program where you can actually put in all of your stuff and it includes all of your debt. So, like, say, for instance, you're a doctor who just got out of school and now you have, you know, half a million dollars in student loan debt. Mm -hmm. That's going to be different 
than if somebody is completely debt free and they're looking at how much of their income is going toward their home and when are they what are their goals are they planning to pay it off are they planning to move out of it and then rent that property and then buy something else do they want to pull some money out of that property it's it's like a jigsaw puzzle putting it all together and finding what is going to be the best for you again at this time and that changes from time to time uh jennifer what did you say you called it something when you found the perfect real estate person for you well i, I again i have I think um, you said, in fact i have i think you said yay oh the yay that's the what yay i want to hear estate agent. yeah it's the yay because your real estate agent should make you say yay <laughs> with whatever they're doing. And like, I, so if you wanted, I have a free resource for people. If you want to know it, do you want oh, to know? Yeah. It? Yeah. Free. Are you kidding? Yes. Free. So you go to realtor, R E A L T O R and the number 17 questions.com. So realtor 17 questions.com. And those are the 17 questions I recommend to help you find your yay realtor, wherever you are, because, and I will tell you, I had one of my clients, um, it was so funny because I, you know, I've, I hosted a radio show on Sirius XM for 10 years and people used to bring it into me, my own 17 questions. I just thought it was hilarious. I said, well, of course, let's sit down. And, and they said, well, what are the right or wrong answers to these 17 questions? And I said, no, no, there's not a right or wrong answer. The 17 questions are meant to help you have a conversation with the real estate agent so that it is right for what you need at that time in your life, whatever that may be. But if you don't, and I've had plenty of people that I, when I first had my first initial interview with them and I say, you know what? I'm not your person. I can help you find the right real estate agent, you know, whether it's Tennessee, California, Chicago, wherever. But it's really important that we find the person that's right for you. And we make sure that it's about you as a buyer or a seller, not about the real estate agent. And when the real estate agent seems to be focusing on themselves or their sales, that's one of those things that should alert you. That's not okay. Not okay. Not Not okay. okay. And that's not going to be your... Yay! You want a yay realtor. That's so that one's a boo. Right? Yeah, boo or yuck. Oh, yuck. Yuck. Yucky. Yay! <laughs> thank you very much, Jennifer Hammond. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Anytime you need me, you just let me know. Steve Dale for John Williams on the Wintrust Business Lunch. I am here with Julie Bauke, President and Chief Career Strategist with the Bauke Group. How are you today, Julie? Good morning and Happy New Year. Good afternoon, I mean. Oops, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I love your enthusiasm, <laughs> and clearly that is because of what you're about to report, that companies are giving huge bonuses to people. And today, <laughs> when I'm done with the show, my boss is going to stop me and say, here's a check for $150,000. I think it's going to come in a bag, like a bag of cash, I think is more oh, likely. Really? Yeah. I, I like that. I don't mind cash at all. <laughs> Our companies, I thought the reverse was true. The companies were cutting back, but you're reporting otherwise. They're doing everything, which is why it's so confusing for employers in terms of to know what to do. And it's in- com- confusing for employees or job seekers or potential job seekers. Do I stay? Do I go? And so when we, we've... Uh, we're watching the sausage being made. There's 
so much confusion on both sides of the desk. And you could find a stat probably to support almost anything that you're looking to support. But the, one of the truths is that most employers are struggling with finding and keeping and further engaging um, people with their full selves at work. And so what we're seeing is companies are literally trying stuff that that has never been considered before. So let's let's take a moment and look back to 2008 when that horrible recession was going on. The leverage was all on the part of the employer. And so they could literally cut your pay. They could do anything they wanted. They could smack you upside the head. And what? we we took <laughs> I'm kidding. We we took it because their whole attitude was, well, go ahead if you don't like it, if you don't like doing four jobs, go ahead. There's plenty of people right outside the door. And that was true. But now here we are, 15, 16 years later, and there is and continues to be and will continue to be a worker shortage. And so employers have had to abandon the I'm in charge and sort of look at what are some of the ways that we haven't tried that we could try to keep people and things like retention bonuses, which in the past have really been very restricted to people who are considered absolutely can't live without you. What companies are learning is because it's not easy to replace people should they decide to leave, they're having to look deeper into what are some of the things, what are the reasons people leave, and then how can we get them to stay? And it's not only money. There are other things the companies are doing, too. They're uh, allowing workplaces to be dog-friendly. They're allowing people to come in uh, when they want, two days a week, three days a week, and the other days you can work at home. Some companies are saying, okay, we're just going to a four-day work week. I mean, all of these things are being tried. Can you talk about some of these? Yeah, yeah. So, So one of the things that is true and has always been true, even though it, you know, is that money is always in the middle of the pack in terms of what makes people happy at work. But it's also true that if you are underpaid, it's going to be more, it's going to be more of an issue for you. But once your pay is considered commensurate with your experience, what the market is paying, and for your performance, people start to look for other things. And so, you know, when you look at what is it, what is it, what causes someone to stay? What causes someone to go? And it's everything from, and it's different things. And so just throwing money at a problem, whether it's retention bonuses, whether it's you know across-the-board raises, nobody's going to turn it down. But when you really get into the whys, what people want now, the, it's just really at the top of the list is flexible work lives. And you notice I didn't say work from home all the time. I didn't say work from the beach, <laughs> but it's really this concept of flexibility so that I can live my life with some boundaries because because te- of technology, there's no boundaries anymore. I can get a message from my boss at midnight. Is that good or bad? That's bad. Why? Um, well, you know, it depends. It depends. So I know there are some workplaces where we feel like that your leader might send you a note on Slack or wherever like well into your personal time, say nine ten o'clock, mm-hmm. and it's really what kind of environment do you have? Do you know this leader, and are they expecting a response from you immediately, or are they simply getting stuff off their plate and really don't he- expect to hear from you until working hours the next day? The problem is when people get really unsettled and anxious about their, about if they start hearing the company might be having a layoff, 
then we sort of get into that high drive mode where we're like, yes, sir, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm going to respond to everything. And it just creates so much anxiety. It creates problems at home. And we have to have boundaries between work and the rest of our lives. Well, and Julie, technology, it's, et cetera, isn't allowing it. Yeah. It's, uh, I love talking with you. Unfortunately, we are out of time, which is making me anxious. But I do wish you and your family a happy new year. <laughs> you too. We'll talk again, Steve. Take care.